Episode 119 of Corporate Lunch, America's first line of defense against awkward outfits and bad attitudes. And it's GQ's podcast about clothes. I'm Noah and Sam and Rachel are my partners in this thing. Hi, guys. Good morning. morning. Two thirds of us are wearing hats this morning. I'll let you guys guess who isn't wearing a hat, but it's actually the one who has probably the worst bedhead. I did not have time to um, shower. My hair and makeup team was late. Um, they got stuck in traffic. They can't find parking. So, Big inauguration this week. Congratulations to all the winners of the elections who are now holding office and to the American people. And um, I just want to say I was kind of observing the inauguration and uh, found that I must be a complete degenerate and everyone I know must be a complete degenerate because all anyone talked about was the, the clothes and the mittens and the Prada and the um, Ralph and otherwise the, basically the fits. Can you guys explain to me what, why is the Bernie meme funny? <laughs> I really, do, I don't understand the joke. Because you can put him anywhere. There are so many different <laughs> places to sit. You know, no, I, um, what was, I think what was, what sort of jumpstarted the meme was there was like a, a, a weird, like undercurrent of people on Twitter who were like mad that he didn't get dressed for the inauguration. Like everyone was sort of like, and, and Joe's in Ralph and, um, Ella's in Mew Mew and this guy's, you know, wore his Dior Jordans. Like, that's cool. And then everyone's like, what's Bernie wearing? <laughs> Oh, the same like Burton jacket from that meme, uh, like not a top coat, right? Like I think there was this idea that you're supposed to like get, you know, dress in like formal attire and oh, he's got these cool mittens on. Where are those from? And someone, someone sort of, I guess had already interviewed him about his mittens on the campaign trail when he was, when he was running for um, the democratic nomination. And, you know, it was like made by this, uh, by some teacher in Vermont um, who, who gifted them to him. And, and I, I don't know, I, I, I don't know how, there was there was clearly a lot of like fascination with with the outfit, and then I just think the pose of him like looking kind of cold and like annoyed, just <laughs> sort of created just 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 like snowballed that moment into sort of like an iconic meme. It just seemed really sad to me that most people's reaction to the inauguration when they've spent the past year being like, "I'm so miserable, I'm in the worst like state of my life emotionally," their reaction is like, "What's the like?" equivalent of Chrissy Teigen making that ooh face at the yeah. Golden Globes in like 2014 or whatever. Right, right. Going from being like Donald Trump is an existential threat to like me and like our country and our democracy. And then when it's finally over, it's like, damn, hold on, who, who knows Photoshop? Like, <laughs> <laughs> can someone well, please put Bernie on this like album cover for me? Thanks. I did read this story this morning that the woman who made the mittens is like incredibly overwhelmed and distressed by the response. So at first she was, I mean, you have to think like, you know, with, with Ralph doing, you know, Joe Biden's suit and with, you know, Christopher John Rogers doing Kamala's like amazing coat and her dress. In those instances, the designers are prepared for an overwhelming display of like support and interest in their products. But the woman who made these mittens said she told the Jewish insider she's received like six 
6,000 emails. And she's really, she's like, I don't have 6,000 mittens. There's no way I can make 6,000 <laughs> mittens because they're upcycled. I, I actually so, made a joke. I made a joke last night that she was going to become a Republican because she was going to make all this money from selling these mittens and be like, man, God, these taxes are just kill is just are just absolutely killer and it turns out that she actually like someone someone quoted her i think it was maybe in that story i don't have much of a mitten business anymore because it really wasn't worth it independent crafters get really taken for a ride by the federal government we get taxed to the nth degree and it wasn't really worth it so what does she do now uh, well i mean she's a, i think her full-time job is is teaching oh right she's a teacher just seems to me like a lot of people have never met an old man from the northeast before <laughs> And that, like, everything Bernie does in terms of, like, what he wears and how he presents himself is, like, so in line with his his ideology, which we're all familiar with, that there's just no, there's, like, nothing surprising or shocking whatsoever about it. Also, it wasn't, he's just there as, like, a a homie, you know, he, he didn't, he wasn't the star of the show. Um, I don't know, we might need, um, it sounds like we might need a independent craft, artisanal stimulus or something yeah i do hope that biden starts to really show some love to the artisanal craft movement um as it relates to my interest specifically it was definitely it was definitely pretty strange that um like when everyone was talking about the clothes and the outfits and the designers as the inauguration was happening i i sort of just thought it was like my like how i curated my timeline and who i follow and you know, the, the interest that the algorithm presents to me, but like actually like every like viral moment, every trending topic, every thing that anyone wanted to talk about, even on like, you know, on NPR or CNN or whatever was what people were wearing, which, which I think is like as, as, as strong an argument for like just everyone's desire for like a, a return to like boring normalcy as anything. You're saying that the attention to that was reflecting people wanting to pay attention to kind of like the mundane aspects of the event. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're not a fashion person who's sort of tuned into that anyway, like, and, and you know, something is kind of boring. Like, what do you like, like, you know, the Grammys or the Oscars, it's like kind of a snooze fest. What do you want to talk about? It's the clothes, right? Yeah, it's definitely, I think it's a couple things. I think it's one, like we've all sort of been trained to like observe these live events, especially those of us on Twitter, which is kind of what we're talking about it with this like heightened observational power, like, like award shows and things like that. I mean, primarily where you're like really trying to decode what everyone's wearing and doing and like what message they're sending or what the credit is or like where the meet, where the viral moment is and what's your entry point. And then I think the other thing is actually kind of the opposite of what you're saying to some extent, Sam, which is like Trump really trained us to like, we were hyper-focused on what him and his crazy wife were wearing and everyone, all of his like cabinet, like there was a lot of like messaging and a lot of chatter about every, you know, his hair or the color of his skin or the way his pants fit or, um, or whatever. Appearances. So I, yeah, appearances. Thank you. That's the word. And I, so I do think that, I don't know that that existed like, you know, the Obama era was different um, in, in so many ways, but I, I think that our obsession with appearances in this particular way as like news moments and as viral moments is like a, a Trump era. It really took off then. It really like, 
That was a goal. We did, we did have to live through tan suit gate during Obama's. <laughs> yeah, tenure. there were a couple little ones. Yeah, for sure. But the thing, the thing that um, that is interesting about, or that I was thinking a lot about, Noah, that sort of dovetails with what you're saying is that I think like if you're a fashion observer or an appreciator or a journalist or a critic, part of your job should be to pick apart why people are wearing what they're wearing, but it shouldn't just be taking at face value the message that they're trying to give you. Your job is to interrogate whether that message works or fails. Um, And I found it really striking that people were so eager to just accept the messaging that was being put across and sort of patting themselves and the, the wearers and the designers on the back for creating this messaging. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. I mean, if you look back at um, Michelle Obama at, I think I think it was the 2013 inauguration where she wore Tom Brown, which yeah. was like that gray coat and she had purple gloves. She just looked great. Mm-hmm. There, like that, and that was the end of it. She just looked great. She looked regal, but democratic. I mean, she just looked, fabulous yeah and there was nothing more to it and I actually really just appreciate that kind of like my job is to look like a powerful representation of what this country is about and to look good for this event where I'm going to be on television for like 12 hours yeah. <laughs> rather than like I'm going to wear this color to say this thing that yeah. suggests this and blah 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 I mean it's like I'm like, you've lost me. And also like, what am I getting out of this? Other than like you, t- your stylist talk to someone who like knows a history of a color. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe yeah. I'm being like way too cynical about it, but that was my. But I think that's why, that's why Ella, that, that's why Ella Amhoff really stole the show because oh, yeah. she, she was just like, I want to look cool. She wore a Miu Miu coat mm-hmm. from the fall collection, right? Um, Miu Miu, you know, obviously not an American brand, not designed by an American. Like most of the attendees wore American designers or wore colors that were meant to signify, um, you know, sort of like an alignment with um, the suffragist movement or or something like that. Um, But Ella sort of took the Michelle Obama and Tom Brown approach, which was like, I'm going to be on TV. I want to look cool and I want to be warm and, you know, I think she was, it was probably, you know, she's, she's also like a fashion person, um, you know, as a student at Parsons and like probably kind of knew that like wearing Mimi would get the people going. Right. Mm-hmm. The same with Amanda Gorman. I mean, I clocked her right away in that yellow coat and I was like, who is that? She looks amazing. Like she looks better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And that what was Prada What would you guys well. wear if you were as the child of a, uh, a, uh, President or vice president at the inauguration, what would you wear? I would wear um, those, the thigh high Rick Owens kiss boots and <laughs> um, like the white tidy whitey cod piece and yeah. like a big shouldered coat. Yeah. So Rick fall 21, fall winter 21. Rick fall 21 all the way. Yeah. It would be sick too because the Rick Owens show is like the next day or the same day or something. So it would be, someone really should have, since the men's shows aren't really happening now, like, Someone should have hit up Virgil and been like, look, I'm going to be at the inauguration. Like your show's going to be two days later. We should really, there could be some synergy here. 
someone like could show up in this Chicago jacket. <laughs> Just like knocking shit over. Like I want Vuitton to like take commission so I can get like one of those jackets made, but it's just Troy, New York, like the city, yeah. <laughs> the city I'm from. It's just a bunch of crappy ass buildings. <laughs> and uh, then there's like a skate bowl, like on the shoulder. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they should do that. I mean. What's like the Eiffel Tower of Troy? Um, the Collar City Bridge probably is a, is a, is a big one. Um, so what did you guys think of the Vuitton Fall winter 2021 collection just presented in video form featuring Saul Williams, most deaf and other performers and poets live streamed on platforms worldwide. Virgil Abloh's sixth collection as the creative head of Vuitton men's and um, will, we had a little chat with Will last night and he, Actually, I shouldn't say that Will said this, but he did say it, uh, that Virgil was really showing his age with this one, which only because most Def and Saul Williams are very um, late 90s. Me and Will and Virgil are all roughly the same age-ish and grew up probably listening to like Lyricist Lounge and these like underground hip hop mixtapes that always featured like Saul Williams and, and most Def. It's a very... Um, late nineties thing for a certain type of American into like rap and skateboarding and graffiti and stuff. So, although I didn't, that's not to say that I felt like the thing felt dated. I thought the video was actually extremely cool. And yeah, the, the video is really cool. Like, I don't know, is it 13, 15 minutes long or something and like pretty compelling and easy to watch and like really beautiful and well choreographed and some of it I thought was a little stiff or I didn't, you know, I hate like a bunch of models standing around in a marble room. Like I don't need to see that, but um, there was just so much movement and cool energy and, and you really got to see the clothes. I don't know. I feel like he kind of nailed it um, for, for the format. I'm a slides guy, but I, uh, I enjoyed that video actually. You, you're yeah. I'm a slides guy too. I, I mostly skip the videos, but this one felt, um, there was also something, I mean, last season, so last season when he had the show over the summer, um, which I believe was in Shanghai, Lauren Hill technically performed. And so I was, kind of, which I don't know if he promoted that to get us really excited to watch the video or if it was like, okay, Lauren, I've said you're performing, so now you have to actually perform. Yeah. Um, but I was like, so when I was watching the video and Steph, from Vogue Runway and I have been live tweeting. So we're live tweeting and then texting each other about the shows. Um, and we were like, is that most deaf? That's so cool. Because usually if you have someone who's that famous, you're gonna be like, and most deaf is performing. Yeah. But the fact that he just casually drops like Saul Williams and most deaf into his video is incredibly cool. So there was, um, I didn't know, I didn't realize that there was no promotion that announced or uh, promised. Mm -hmm. Yasin Bey. So I have a th I have a theory about Off White, or mm. not about Off White, but about Virgil Abloh, especially at Vuitton, which I wanna I wanna discuss with you guys, which is that he packs all of his shows with like way too many references, right? I think we can all agree on that. And I sort of I think a lot of times people criticize him for this like over referential show 
oh, where you like can't can hardly navigate through like what is inspiring what. And he's like, you know, kind of twisting things that other designers have done. And he said that this is a very conscious thing. It's like he's not copying them. And I've been kind of wondering recently if this is actually just what the project is. And the whole idea is that like, he's just learning about these things. And as he's learning about whatever he's learning about at this like hyper pace, he's just putting it all, like this is just the stuff I've been thinking about over the past two months or three months. And the idea is that like people who are maybe 15 or 20, 25 years younger than him are looking at these shows and like that, they just like dip into whatever it is that they find interesting. Yeah, I mean, Virgil has all has has long said that like his a, a big part of his project is you know educational in nature. Like he wants he wants um, some kid who maybe grows up in like a suburb somewhere to 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 be, be able to like access um, like deep culture through his shows or through his performances or through his art, um, which can definitely make for a pretty chaotic men's fashion collection. <laughs> sometimes but um i think i think i think that's pretty that's a pretty smart take in a way he's like doing exactly what you want someone with the in his position with those resources to do which is just like introduce a lot of different ideas and experiment and like you know it's cool that vuitton like is as weird as it is with virgil (laughs) doing it that there are as many ideas as there are you know sometimes you see a fashion like a great fashion collection from a great well-resourced uh designer that's just a little boring and you feel kind of like well what was the point of that um even if it's you know beautiful but there's something about i mean virgil is so didactic like it sometimes you're like there's all this kind of symbolism and meaning and references and all these layers but all they really amount to is the idea of symbolism and meaning and layers like Sometimes I feel like I, you just want to get to the really point, like to the point and be, it's like, what does Virgil really believe? What really is his worldview? What does he really want us to know? And not just messaging to us that he is telling us and teaching us things, but what really are the ideas that drive it? There's like a, I was reading the Vogue review. Who did this? Sarah Mower, probably. Mm-hmm. Like he has, I mean, he does this a lot, but there's, a quote where he says fashion has the power to deprogram these dress codes and impact possibilities and i just think sure but what to what end like that's how i feel about it and i i like this collection i think it looks super cool like i mean um who's the stylist he's working with ibrahim um the guy that just kamara yeah kamara i think is like incredible um is this the first time he styled the virgil show he did off white yeah. So they've been working together for probably a while. six or seven months at this point. Well, I think it, they're like a great, they work very well together. Um, anyway, that's kind of my rant is I like, I like the collection, but I do feel, I know what you're saying, Rachel, about this is the project, but then I feel like it still leaves me craving a little something, which is like, okay, but what do you really want us to know? Like, but I wonder if this, and I, I completely agree with you, but I feel like that's kind of the point for him yeah yeah he doesn't maybe he doesn't make clothing in a way where he's like like Steph pointed out that he 
did the show in the tennis club in Paris, which is where Phoebe Philo used to do all the Celine shows. No. And I don't think there's, which is interesting, but I don't think there's any meaning to that other than he just worships and adores Phoebe Philo and wants to just occupy the same space, both mentally and physically as she did. Yeah, that's interesting. That's kind of cool. Also could just be a practical, like some, you know, you need a certain amount of square footage and you have X dollars and what's available. And that's just one of the places, you know, sometimes venues are just what they are, but I'm sure there was. Yeah, but you know, he's obsessed with Phoebe Philo. I hope it means that he's also obsessed with tennis. Virgil is? That'd be great. I actually, I don't know. Oh, Oh, I meant to ask you guys about, did you guys both go to the uh, Honor Titus show last night? Yeah. We did. Was it a great time and a, a beautiful night without me? It was amazing. Yeah. This we, is saw these, we saw these three kids, Noah, that were, I mean, these kids were, it felt like they were there for you. They were <laughs> probably like 21, 22 years old. One was dressed exactly as Christian Slater in Heather's. One was dressed as like a Bret Easton Ellis, like Sean Pablo villain character. And he had round sunglasses on the tip of his nose. And then the other was dressed as like Ferris Bueller's really cool and beautiful girlfriend. Uh (laughs) It was insane. I just like, they were, and then when they walked in, they kind of like looked at me and Sam and Will and Lloyd and were like, hmm. (laughs) Like we were passing each other in the hallway and it was very breakfast club did sam are you, i'm surprised sam didn't know them or that they didn't like ask sam for an autograph or something or was this a different no, never seen them before but i was into i was into the vibe the kid with the, the kid in the sort of doing the sort of american psycho thing had like slicked back hair and was just like drinking jack daniels from a bottle that he had like picked up at the bodega on the corner we're supposed to be in a time of like no FOMO, you know, but you guys are killing me. So a lot of people are saying that this Wuton collection, the, the, the sort of chatter that I think Rachel and I picked up on the internet um, was that this was a career defining collection and Virgil's best. Agree, disagree? I, I like it. I don't f- feel, I don't see how it's significantly different from his past collections, if that makes sense which I also think have been pretty good, but. Yeah, I, I, I brought this up yesterday, but I think far and away his best collection so far has been his first one where the models just had this, this it just total like comfortable, casual elegance. It was like, it was like you know, the silhouettes mm-hmm. were very skateboarder, um, but rendered in this really beautiful, yeah. light, delicate, luxurious Vuitton fabric. Um, the sneakers were cool. You know, it was just had this, like, it was just this, this sort of this vibe that like, you, you really like, you really just want that from Virgil. Right. Um, and I, there are definitely some joints in this collection. Um, and I love the cowboy energy um, sort of towards the end. But I do think that, that as Virgil does a little bit more tailoring, like the, the, the sort of feeling of the collections have gotten a little bit more awkward um like the models just don't look like super comfortable in the clothing like i like that smashed hat that appeared a yeah. lot that's all is wearing and appears elsewhere yeah i i i i do think his that first collection was really kind of amazing and 
the most memorable. I don't know if it was his best, but it's, you know, it was his first, it was this debut and it was kind of momentous. And uh, should we, um, should we move on to Rick? Well, I mean, Rick Owens has a much uh, longer career and has had many, many more collections, but this is one of the best Rick Owens collections I can remember seeing. Me too. Yeah, totally. And uh, just like, so like inventive. So like, just, I feel like, like it, it, it was soundly a Rick collection. A lot of like his like staple, you know, exaggerated proportions and, and, drape and all that stuff was in there and the textures the hides and the zippers i don't know i just don't know of another designer at that level who is that like creative which is such a even that word feels like too basic but just truly like every collection really feels like so original and he's really like creating something sort of essential and new um and insanely cool and horny as hell. I like. I thought this was Rick, horn, very horny Rick. Whereas like, Rick is always a little like kinky. Yeah. And like, I mean, Rick is extremely kinky. He famously was the video where someone's like peeing on him. And um, but this this one felt like really horny in this more like sensual kind of way that some of the it doesn't. It's not always in the other in his collections. I thought. Well, one thing I love about Rick Owens is that he designs without any sense of morality or, or I should say like moral judgment, which a lot of designers do, especially now. Um, they really want to present this like ideal proposition of masculinity or manhood or like, here's what a man should be today. Whereas like Rick just, just reflects what he is seeing. And I can't really think of any other fashion designer in menswear who does that. Um, and I think the, the, for me, the genius of this collection was that it was about male aggression and specifically seemed to be about white male aggression and this like suppressed anger, which no other designer has dared to touch, which is yeah. kind of crazy if you think about it. Cause it's something, I mean, a lot of artists like Jordan Wolfson is someone obviously who like comes to mind in the art world who explores these kinds of themes and also embodies them. And I think he did, like he knows that he explores and embodies those themes. And I think he, he like confronted them in a way that I haven't seen him confront or any other designer confront that in their work before. And I, especially in this like middle part of the show where it seemed to just be a Jack Dorsey chapter. <laughs> yeah. Which was, just, I mean, you know, a lot of designers have quote unquote problematic customers or fans. And I would say the Jack Dorsey, Rick Owens relationship is probably the, the epitome of that sort of challenge in the fashion world is that you have this person who really loves and supports your work. But a lot of the other people who love and support your work find this person troubling, problematic. They have too much power. They have too much money, too much control. And he just seemed to plant this section in the middle of the show. That's exactly what Jack Dorsey wears from his collections. And it was like the, the first part of the, the show seemed to be these really sexy, provocative kind of 
I'm in a weird nightclub underground, you know, in Europe somewhere. And then this Jack Dorsey section. And then the end where like everyone's wearing these big blazers and it's like evil, like Armani guys on from the 80s on steroids. So it's like all these different kinds of visions of problematic white male masculinity. It's an interesting point. I mean, fashion, you know, being a commercial endeavor uh, kind of purports to be conceptually open and free and um, boundary pushing, but ends up being extremely conventional, right? And, and, and very, very reluctant to challenge, especially social, socio-political ideas in any way, or to, to propose or to like explore, interrogate ideas that would be controversial or somehow, um, I don't know, would like take a deeper level of like understanding and patience and, and you just feel that Rick just doesn't feel bound to that, to those concerns, partly because his business isn't and he knows that and because he's a, sort of a genius and geniuses just do what they do. But you know what I mean? Like we get, you know, we like, we dive into these collections, like looking for like these big ideas and this like creative freedom. But like, we all know at the end of the day, we're not fully getting that because we're mostly because of commercial concerns and because of, I like, it's not like Rick Owens is going to get canceled for this collection. And I don't think that what you're saying about, about white male aggression is, is even in that is cancelable, let's say, but it is certainly, um, taking on a topic that others just wouldn't for various reasons. Yeah. It's a taboo. It's a taboo. Interestingly, it's all, it's also one of the rare collections that I've seen so far that acknowledges the reality of the pandemic. All the models were wearing masks. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, beautiful sort of scary masks with like long sort of like trailing fabric sort of fluttering in the wind. I mean, ma I mean masks are, are, you know, Rick's, aesthetic is is such that masks really do fit within his yeah. his universe in like a in a in a pretty seamless way like you know not not many brands can do that like you know Rick Owens acronym comes to mind but um you know like Vuitton and Dior those the, the collections seem to be about like or or, or like made for a, 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 a sort of imagined post covid world and Rick seems to be saying well in 6 months when this comes out um, sorry, but you're going to need to buy Rick Owens mask. Yeah, it's it's it remains surprising that there aren't more masks in these shows. Even if there was just like one here or there or something, it's just kind of strange that that there's no acknowledgement. And I thought the Rick masks were it was like a designed mask. It wasn't like a mask in a Rick mm -hmm. fabric. It was like a it had this like drape and like a cut to it. Yeah, so fuck, so sick. Rick was I wearing mean, one it, backstage too. It kind it of um, awesome. it had the. It reminded me of like going to the opera where like at the end of every opera, the woman who you're sort of rooting for dies of a mysterious illness, quote unquote, which is usually tuberculosis. But the whole time, like she's becoming more and more beautiful, like as she's dying. I feel like that's enough, like Rick sort of gets that uh, like, oh yeah, like it's a mask, which is actually quite, elegant and and kind of has this windswept romanticism even as it's incredibly dystopian so what's going on with this dior show 
It's very militant, huh? Mm -hmm. I thought that was a cool silhouette. I liked that shrunken standing collar jacket with the <laughs> military sort of details and then the more blousey pants. Yeah. And then there's like the camo, all these different types of like officer jackets, which I don't know the names of, but with the sort of like short stand collar and lots of buttons down the front and lots of hardware, sort of medals and badges and... Kim Jones, Kim Jones once again proves that he's um, the king of the mohair sweater. Yeah. You know, no matter where he is or what season it is, um, Kim Jones can just do such a fucking fire mohair sweater. Sam, I was looking at, so for this collection, he collaborated with Peter Doig, who's a super famous uh, Scottish painter. And I was looking at some old paintings of his and there are actually guys in these incredible like novelty knits in the paintings mm-hmm. you kind right, of wonder translated like, into real yeah yeah well there's one that that basically is like is 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 directly lifted from one of the paintings right that sort of yellow mm-hmm. and red and black one yeah so cool well kim is a big like fashion collector and archivist and of course vivian westwood early in her career really did a lot of mohair sweaters that were worn by johnny rotten and malcolm mclaren and others and i think kim i mean kim's always he made Vuitton sweaters that were just like versions of that mohair sweaters at Vuitton that were versions of the old Vivian Westwood sweaters. Great hats in the collection too. Like the knit um, or the crocheted skull cap was almost certainly not going to be produced, but um, something very compelling about that, about the white one at the end, especially. I liked the leather head harness. Yeah, that kind of freaked me out. That looks like a, like, like a helmet that you put on a baby when it's like head is not growing like proportionally did you guys clock um kim wearing his the zip up prada shirt at the end when he came out to take his bow in the video oh no they don't have a bow shot on vogue runway it's in the video you have to you have to watch at the very end prada shirt not sure what the trousers are and then sakai nike waffle knit sneakers all black obviously i think he was wearing prada at the fendi show as well wow when he went to the Fendi men's show. Who loves Prada more, Noah or Kim Jones? <laughs> I mean, Kim probably owns more Prada than me. Probably Kim. I'll give it to Kim. Who loves art more, Noah or Kim Jones? Art, is that what you said? Who loves yeah. Air Jordans more? Kim <laughs> Jones or Michael Jordan? That was a very funny inauguration moment, right? It was just like headlines that were just like, some guy wore Dior Jordans to the inauguration. And it's just like, I guess people eventually figured out who it was, like Kamala Harris's niece's husband or something. Mm-hmm. But it's just some guy wore these sneakers to this thing. I think, I think we all got to get our goddamn brains out of the fit gutters. Wait, you never answered your own question at the beginning of the episode. What would you wear to the inauguration uh, if you're... If I become president, I invite you. And maybe there's a great tradition of Tom Brown at inaugurations happening. So that would be, if I felt like, I think the first thought would be like, ah, I should wear an American designer. And then I'd call Evan Kenori and I'd be like, yo, make me a suit. And he'd be like, no. And then I'd call Tom Brown and they'd be like, no, but you can go buy one at the store. And I would probably do that. No skirt. But I would try to get the thing that I always talk about, which is like, the loose cut Tom Brown, like, 
I mean, I don't know. I don't shop Tom Brown, so I don't like know the cuts and silhouettes and names and stuff, but I've seen it worn in like a kind of loose oversized way that I'm just obsessed with. Um, I specifically saw it on the guy who was the manager of the Tom Brown store in Japan, I think in Oyama, Tokyo or something. It's an amazing store. And there's the coolest old man who's the manager and he wears like loose fit Tom Brown and looks awesome. So anyway, that's what I would, maybe I would call the Japan store, you know. I think that's a great answer. All right, thank you. I was thinking earlier this week how it would just be a completely different brand if his name was Kevin Kanori. <laughs> like if he's if he's Kevin Canori, that's it, Kiss. Yeah, Evan Canori is a is a. I, I mean, I've talked to Evan about that a lot. He has a really good name. He's very lucky, and you, one might f- consider that his name has helped him with some success in Japan. It sounds like a Japanese name, and he kills it in Japan. But Kevin, that's like how everyone. I my nickname for him is actually Kevin Cannoli. Kevin Cannoli has like a half floor installation at Dover Street Market. Yeah, <laughs> I take it back that he would he would probably make me a suit. Maybe I would use there. Maybe there's like an inaugural like um, wardrobe budget that I could pull from. You know what I mean to like develop it with him. The federal coffers. Rachel, what would you wear? Um, I would wear Tom Brown. Everybody's on Team Tom Brown. I would probably I would wear Tom Brown too, or maybe Bodie. Oh yeah, you gotta wear Bodie. That would be tight. Hell yeah! All right, four years. You'll see us up there. <laughs> the stepchildren. When President, when President Will Welch is uh, inaugurated. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I mean, hey, the way things are going, doesn't seem too far fetched. Yeah, I mean, and hey. Uh, every week I ask you to enter to, to fill Sam Hines DMS with yourself, but maybe shoot Will a DM and say, Hey, come back on the pod. I mean, we could use, we need, maybe we need to get some momentum behind it and have some people remind him that his voice is cherished and needed here. Um, but also still DM Sam Hine, tell him what you're going to wear to the inauguration when you're invited because your stepmom is the vice president. And um, episode 119 of Corporate Lunch. This has been a pleasure as always. We thank you for listening and subscribing and, and, and telling friends, offering friends the gift of a podcast recommendation. Maybe friends who like Fitz but don't, don't like, haven't yet listened to talk about Fitz but would want to do that. I think we'd be the podcast for them. So tell them, remind them to subscribe and write reviews and then tell other friends and we can, you know, we'll get more merch going. The corporate lunch hat is still for sale. There's a few left actually. Um, it is almost sold out. So if you, if you want uh, one, I swear to you, do not sleep. And um, that's, that's the end of this episode. Yeah.